As the preeminent expert on the psychology of serial killers, tell me, why would a man choose to live under the same roof as his victims, amidst his own personal killing field, as it were? It's quite simple, actually. It all boils down to an issue of control, which, at its most basic human level, can be attributed to penis envy. By having these dead bodies buried in his living room, clearly there's some kind of... Is something the matter, juror number six? Yes, actually, I, I didn't get that last bit. What was it attributed to? Dr. Brookings. Penis envy. Excuse me, what kind of envy? Penis. I'm, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear the, um... Penis. Just, just once more. Penis, penis, penis! podcast is going to be another sort of in the series of like I mean I guess the the actual premise of this podcast is like let's look at the things that I paid attention to when I was little and explore the ways that they fucked me up kind of like you know like a lot of different kinds of therapies um and I thought this one was going to be about masculinity too because I feel like I have a lot to say about Polly Shore and masculinity but what I found watching jury duty um was that this movie actually has a lot to say about, like, about, about, like, like, last episode was about trans people, but I feel like this one, too, is about trans women, like, <coughs> I was surprised to find, like, two separate instances of this movie addressing the existence of trans women, uh, both of which were kind of nonsense, and the more I think about it, the more I kind of get pissed off, and I think about, like, when, like, people of color are like, dude, white people are fucking crazy, right? Um, and, like, as a white person, you kind of just have to sit with that and be like, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Similarly, I don't want to talk shit about any cis people. You know, there are cis, I have cis friends. There are cis people in my life who I love, but, like, cis people are fucking crazy. I don't even like the word crazy, but, like, th there's no other way to describe the way that trans women are portrayed in films, whether as a joke or like not as a joke, without just being like, you people are fucking crazy. And like, sort of the way that it tends to go, right, is that they will portray trans women as some kind of crazy, right? They won't portray trans men at all. They will, they will portray trans women as fucking crazy. And so like, I feel like that like if I like if I had been a philosophy major or something I would have better language for this but like fucking like the assumption right that trans women don't make any sense I feel like I've talked about this on this podcast before fucking it's it's a nexus of different like weird and intense 
things in our culture, like, not to use the word discourse, but like, you know, trans women exist in, like, we live in a misogynist culture, right? And we live in a six, cis, sexist culture. Six, six, cis, sexist. And we live in a culture that, like, we have sort of an archetype of man, an archetype of woman that we will refer to, but we also, like, those archetypes are really different from actual men and women in real life. And so, like, where the rubber hits the road in terms of what we mean when we say woman as a concept and like the women that we see every day are just really different things, right? And so all these things, fuck it, but like, what's my example? When, that's kind of abstract, right? Uh, when somebody is like, oh, by the way, I'm trans and I'm gonna be transitioning and um, somebody else is like, oh, so can we expect you to have like long hair and wear dresses all the time? And it's like, well, look around, like, for like most of the women in your life, they have longer hair than you, but like they probably are not wearing dresses very often, right? Like dresses are more of an archetypal woman thing a lot of the time than a like literal, you know what I mean? Like those concepts of like, what do we mean when we talk about women? Are we talking about actual people? Or are we talking about the stories that we fucking tell on TV and in movies and stuff? And I'm thinking about this because of the stories that we tell about trans women in movies and stuff, right? Like. A little background. Okay, so initially, before I watched Jury Duty, right, I was like, I was thinking, I've talked about this before, right? When you're like a trans girl who hasn't been shown that you get to be trans or who like hasn't seen any narratives of possibilities of what it might like to like be trans to like solve this problem that is sitting with you all the time, right? Um, I shouldn't use the second person. In my experience, it was sort of like, how do I find, a, like, I was young and I was like, I don't get to transition because trans people it's been, have been portrayed to me as like other and not us, right? And so I'm not trans, obviously, like that shit is not even on my radar as a possibility. So like, what sorts of masculinities, if I'm gonna be a man, are available to me? And dude, Polly Shore masculinity felt way better than a lot of other masculinities that I had seen, right? Like, Pauly Shore was not gonna have a fist fight with anybody, right? Or if he was, he was just gonna get beat up and like kind of be hilarious about it, right? And like whine, he, which there's one of his, those movies where he like says something, he's like, ow, my pancreas. Um, I should watch all the Pauly Shore movies. Although, I watched all the Robocop movies and that was a bummer. Um, I sort of latched onto it, and to this day, I think some Pauly, Sh Pauly Shore shit is, like, pretty funny. I, like, there are things there that I think still work, but, um, God, okay, how to describe Pauly Shore's masculinity to you if you are not familiar with his work. Um, he was very fey, but heterosexual, um, in this kind of hair metal way, but in this, like, not cocky way, it was this very unconfident not unconfident necessarily, but he was kind of like a dorky loser who was just super weird in these ways that like sort of, um, like leaned toward femininity, right? Um, just in terms of like the way he dressed and the way that he talked. He was also this, there's this huge like stoner, like California, I think he's from LA and from like a showbiz family. And it was so weird, had this way of talking where he'd like drag out, what? Birds, buddy. You know, like that kind of stuff. He had this strange way of talking that was just like, he was a weirdo. And that was kind of appealing, you know what I mean? That was like, 
oh, okay, like it sort of broke the mold of what dude, even like dude, like rock stars, right? Like rock stars were always like super oversexed and like having lots of like fucking and really confident and that stuff. And like that didn't resonate with me when I was 12, but like being a weirdo who sort of like confounded other people and that was the fun of it, like that did appeal to me when I was 12 because when I was 12, and probably still to this day, um, I just didn't know how to like connect with people directly, you know what I mean? Didn't know how to be like, this is who I am and therefore this is the position from which I am relating to you, you know what I mean? Um, and so having a little armor that was like the off-putting weirdo was like, yeah, that's great, that's what I want. Um, but what I sort of expected to be talking about as I went into this podcast was like, Polly had a show on MTV called Totally Polly for a while where he like interview people and like play videos and go places and do stuff. And I watched you know, a couple years ago or maybe less than that, but at some point relatively recently, I watched some like footage from the Totally Polly TV show that um, somebody had like videotaped and put up on YouTube. And um, it was like super misogynist in this way that like he was just like totally like trying to like grope girls boobs and like just like objectifying the shit out of all these women that were everywhere at the like warrant concert or whatever um and it sort of it just like points to the um the flexibility like the adaptability of misogyny in our culture right where this like masculinity which to me had appeared way less toxic when I was a kid than other visible masculinities actually like eliminated like part of that right like it was the aggression was not there the like sort of um the need to be kind of always putting one over on everybody else that component wasn't there but like in terms of misogyny and entitlement to women's bodies and just like you know that kind of stuff it was all very much there in a super gross way um and I thought that that was what we were going to be exploring in this movie and like some of that stuff is there right like Polly plays a loser dork and um What's the plot of the movie? This character actor from the 90s who used to see a lot of stuff whose name I don't remember has been accused of murder and Polly lives with his mom and her beau in a trailer with Polly's dog Peanut who's kind of like one of the best things about this movie. Polly has this fucked up little chihuahua with like hair sticking out everywhere that's like really into jeopardy. Um, he lives in a trailer park with them, but they're gonna take the trailer to go to Las Vegas to get married, so he, like, decides to go, he, like, gets called to jury duty, and turns out they put you up in a hotel and give you $5 a day if you're on a jury, so, like, I feel like they, like, take some liberties with the jury selection process in this movie, although I don't really know that much about it. Um, Polly winds up getting on the jury of a trial that's gonna take a long time, and there's this funny thing where, like, the premise of this movie seems to be that Polly is going to make everybody be on, like, in the, uh, what's the word, the jury room where they are not rehabilitating, they're not, the thing where they have to figure out whether they're going to find the person guilty or not guilty, that thing, what's that called? Deliberating. The joke is that Polly is going to make everybody be in deliberation for a really long time, but they sort of, like, I guess while they're like writing the movie, they realize that there's nothing super compelling about that. So most of the deliberation just kind of flies by in a montage, which is pretty funny. I mean, like, if you look at the bones of this story, the way that it was written to make stuff happen, the bones are pretty transparent. Um, and it's kind of like, 
and not subtle how they get from point A to point B in this movie. Anyway, he... What happens? There's some kind of mysterious crypto homophobia with these two guys who are at the hotel and one of them compliments the other one's Ty. Um, and Paulie agrees to like do some like advertising. So this movie was like definitely existed in the wake of the O.J. Simpson trial, right? That's what they were cashing in on was like all the media attention on the O.J. Simpson trial. And so there's a scene, there's all this like super like period stuff about like putting the um, the blurry circle on people's faces and like court TV. There's this weird aside where this guy on court TV is probably a newscaster or sorry, a like a sportscaster guy that you would recognize if you were into sports casting who like they cut to him on like the court TV, the like transparent not court TV, court TV thing. And um, he's discussing the case like it's a sports event, talking really fast and like saying all the like play by play and stuff. And then just like his head explodes for no reason. And then that's the end of the scene. That's pretty good. Um, but yeah, Polly runs this scam where he he sneaks advertising for the hotel. The hotel is like gross. They're in this like terrible wing of the hotel, all the jurors, and they don't like it and they don't want to be there. And Polly uh, like advertises, sneaks advertising for the hotel onto the court TV thing, and then um, in exchange, they the guys who who are running the hotel give him like the fancy room, and so he's like living in this fancy room with like. TV that they portray as like opulent by including like picture in picture like he's watching one thing but Jeopardy's on in the corner because Peanut loves Jeopardy so much um, and everybody's like dude this dude did it this guy is clearly the murderer we need to convict him and Polly's like no I want to keep living in the hotel and everybody hates him for it uh, Tia Carrere is also on the jury she plays a I think she's a librarian who like when they're taking the bus to the, the hotel where they're going to stay for the first time, she's got these two enormous law books that she's just carrying. They look like they're, like, you know, on, like, Law and Order or whatever, or whatever, when they've got the, like, library at the law firm and it's all the legal decisions or whatever. They're these huge, like, four-foot-thick, like, books that with, like, matching spines. She's got, like, two of those. Like, why did you bring just, like, volumes, like, 14 and 15 with you on the bus, Tia Carrere? Although... That's not fair of me. There are any number of reasons why she would want those two volumes of that series of books with her. Um, anyway, they all want to convict this dude, but Polly's like, we shouldn't convict this dude. The guy is like a fast food manager serial killer. He keeps killing the managers of fast food places. And so there's some stuff where you see like these representatives of different like goofy fast food chains in there, like fast food restaurant uniforms like and you know it's silly and the last one is <laughs> they're like made up fast food chains because you can't use real ones in a movie without paying for them I guess and one of them is the last one that you see is this girl from Wiener Boy is the name of the uh the fast food restaurant that's pretty funny she's got like this big like you know those like viking hats that have the big horns that stick out of either side she's got kind of like her uniform as like a hat like that but instead of horns it's just a hot dog so it looks like she's got a hot dog going through her head that's pretty funny i mean there's stuff in this movie that like actually is legitimately funny they like keep returning to peanuts character and his love of jeopardy there's a scene when polly is like tia carrera's character she's like dude you've got a fucking uh 
like you're just fucking around. We're done. We need to leave. I don't want to be on the jury anymore. And um, Polly's like, I don't know what to say. So he's watching some old black and white movie where the guy is talking about how like we need. He's giving this like very like um, like dramatic speech about how like you haven't given this guy a fair shake and you're assuming he's guilty and just like you know we, it's our duty as jurors to do this and to do that and to really work. Um, on making sure that this guy gets a fair trial and it's like very like appealing to justice and it's very uh, Very like you know dramatic and so Paulie is in his beautiful room in the hotel talking on the phone to Tia Carrere And he's just like the guy on the TV will say one line and then he'll like repeat it to Tia Carrere And she's like totally being won over. She's like, "Wow, I didn't realize that you weren't an idiot like this is really smart stuff but then, as Polly is like giving this speech that this guy on TV is giving, fucking Peanut jumps up and like gets on the remote um, and switches it to Jeopardy. And Polly's like, Peanut, you can't, dude. I'm like, you very much need to be reciting these things that are on TV on the other channel. And Peanut's like, fuck you, dude, and keeps his paw on the remote and is like growling at him, like, we're watching Jeopardy. I don't give a fuck about your stupid bullshit. Um, and, you know, it, it still works out to your career, still winds up being like, wow, you like are not stupid, you're great, I love you. She doesn't say I love you. Um, the This movie is like thick with compulsory heterosexuality. Don't get me wrong, like it's ridiculous. Like I forget even what the like machinations of the plot are that make her fall in love with him, but they're like, they're ridiculous. Um, he like, what winds up happening? He fucking, I feel like I lost the thread a little bit that I was talking about. Um, they wind up declaring a mistrial. Um, Polly fucking realizes that one of the jurors who was on the jury with him was actually the like fast food killer or whatever. Um, and he freaks out and he's going to tell Tia Carrera about it while she's working at her library now that the court thing is over. Um, and just when you're like, that's a little convenient, isn't it, of like all the people in LA who could have been the fast food murderer dude was on the jury with them, but then what you, what the movie tells you is like, oh, you got onto this jury intentionally because you're the master, or you're the murderer. So like, it's not just a coincidence. You were like, you know, you were like pulling some strings and shit. Um, fast food murderer guy. Um, right, so Polly, like, goes to talk to her about that, and then the murderer shows up, and the murderer is gonna kill her and him, but then, like, Polly hits the murderer in the head with one of the giant books that Tia Carrera was holding earlier, and there's a pretty good line where he hits the murderer with the book, and then he goes, oh, that's what these are for. Kind of implying that what books are for is hitting murderers with. I feel like that's, I'm with that. I stand by that perspective. Um, and this is what makes Tia Carrera love him. Like, she falls in love with him after that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just like that classic, like, oh, you're an exceptional man who has done an exceptional thing, and therefore I will love you for the rest of our lives. Like heterosexuality also weird dude like also fucking bonkers um where did we start out with that stuff oh can i go that way ah. uh just 
holding up there's another another car full of replicants gesturing at me in a way that I didn't understand but I got it everything worked out there was a third car full of replicants no big deal um there's also what happens I feel like Polly doesn't do it actually it's um peanuts so in order for the story to move forward Polly has to accidentally lock peanut in a phone booth and then just like forget about peanut right and this not only is unsympathetic right like Polly I get that you're freaking out because you just figured out who the murderer was but like you love peanut like peanut is so important to you in your life that like that it is hard for me to believe that you would just forget him no matter how excited you are about realizing that like this murderer was an environmentalist who hated styrofoam cups and so it's hard. Like, I feel like the movie loses you a little bit when Polly just accidentally leaves Peanut in a fucking uh, phone booth near a landfill. But, I mean, there's no denying that it does set up a pretty good thing, which is when Peanut squeaks out from under the phone booth um, and then is, like, running to catch up with Polly at, um, like, what's going to happen, right? Is, like, Peanut is going to... There, there are a bunch of scenes of Peanut running by himself at night to like come help Polly and Tia Carrera's character whose name I forgot. Um, and those are good scenes, like they're just like dramatic music and it's like fucked up looking little chihuahua like running with purpose. Those are great. That, like I feel like Peanut, I have no problems with Peanut's character in this movie. They nailed it with Peanut. Um, so why did I start telling the plot of the story? I don't remember where I was. Um, Polly was in the nice room. Whatever, there you go. So, okay, so stripper jokes, right? Like, not that great. Not a fan of jokes about strippers. Um, like, Polly is bad at stripping, and like, I guess you can play that, but it just feels like the way that we as a culture tend to talk about strippers is similarly, like, nonsense bullshit, and doesn't actually reflect what, like, I mean, not that I've ever been a stripper, but I feel like jokes about strippers in movies are fucked up and like perpetuate busted narratives about people who do that kind of sex work right um so the movie opens and Polly is trying to be a stripper it opens with like it's like a Chippendales type club and there's this big dude who's dancing and all the women are going crazy and then Polly comes out and he starts dancing and he's dressed like a milkman and he strips off his milkman clothes and is wearing this like white sparkled thong and he like pours milk all over himself and then he like spits milk all over the women in the audience and it's like gross and they don't like it and then he doesn't get hired like afterwards you find out that it was like tryout night at the strip club and they post like who got accepted and who didn't on the wall and Polly did not get accepted to be one of the strippers and he's bummed and that's when he goes home and he like crashes at his mom's trailer and one nice thing is that Polly is wearing one of those sleep masks that you put over your eyes and Peanut has a smaller matching sleep mask over his eyes um that's cool. So, oh yeah, and the, right, the way that Polly's like strip club dancing scene ends is that he like, all the women in the club have left except for one, right? And she's kind of pretty and she's like, hey, come here. And he goes up to her and then she has a low voice by which we are to infer that she's trans. And then Polly like freaks out and is grossed out and, um, you know, like runs away and that's it. That's the joke for that trans character, right? We don't see her again. Um, which would be, like, pretty predictable, like, boring stuff, right? Oh, okay, there's a trans woman who is 
passing for cis when she doesn't talk, but when she does talk, it all falls apart, right? Like, I get that that's a story that you people want to tell about trans people, but um, there's this other story that is told in this movie about trans women where I forget why Polly needs to go visit the guy who's on trial in jail, but in order to do so, he puts on this, like, short, tight sequin dress and, like, uh, fishnet stockings that, like, um, are, like, they're on, like, a, like, garter belt, so you see a lot of his thighs and stuff. It's just, like, you know, he dresses up as, like, a quote-unquote sexy lady, but with, like, a shitty wig, right? It's, like, a messy, huge, blonde wig, and, um, he's just, like, to the viewer, he continues to be poly short. He hasn't done a lot of work to pass for a cis woman, and so, therefore, he probably is not going to be passing for a cis woman, but, of course, the way that they play this joke is that he goes in to, like, I guess have a conjugal visit with this guy who's on trial, right? Because he's, like, I'm, I'm his girlfriend. Um, and the guy, that character actor from the 90s, um, whose name I don't remember, can tell that, like, Polly is Polly in drag, right? Um, but it seems like the people at the prison can't like the like guards and stuff they like seem to believe that Polly is a cis woman who's coming for a legitimate conjugal visit with this guy um and like even think it's kind of cute that this woman is coming in to visit with him right and I'm just like what story are you telling about trans women here right like you're saying I don't know, maybe it's, a, maybe, maybe it's a great and realistic thing that they're saying. I don't know. You tell me. In the first one, there's, like, a trans woman who passes for cis until she talks. In the second one, Polly is in drag and he's passing for cis, even when he's talking, um, repeatedly to some people, right? And so maybe that's fucking accurate. But also, like, clearly Polly in drag is played for joke, or for laughs, right? And, like, the joke is, like, the, like, suspect guy, or the, I guess the, the guy who's on trial, like has to make out with Polly for some reason, and so they're t putting their, like, hands on each other's butts and stuff, and it's just, like, this movie is gesturing hard to the fact that trans women exist, right? Um, they, like, there literally is one early on in the movie, right? And then Polly, clearly not a trans woman, but, like, the whole thing of, like, the history of, like, representing trans people by cis people being about cis people going like well what would make me want to be trans right like what problem would cross-dressing or transitioning or, or whatever like what could that solve like what reason could I have to want to do that right and like not comprehending that the reason that somebody would have to be trans is that they're trans right because they don't understand that being trans is a thing so they're like only cis people exist, right, as a premise, and therefore, what kind of cis person would transition, right? And so that's, like, sort of what they're gesturing to, right? Why would somebody, like, cross-dress, right? Oh, they must have a reason to, like, they need to go meet this dude in prison for some reason. It's, like, on, a, on an archetypal level, this movie is gesturing to the fact that this shit exists, when in reality, of course it's playing it for a joke, right? I'm not trying to say that, like, they actually intentionally had a cohesive thing to say, but just, like like, to say about trans people, but just, like, the fact that it's so fucking gibberish is, like, 
doesn't feel like it's like, oh, it's just a joke and therefore you can dismiss it, right? It's like, what actually is there in that joke, right? And the joke is that Polly in drag is funny, obviously, that like Polly in drag, like making out with this dude is funny. Um, Polly, of course, doesn't pass for a cis woman, right? He's, except he kind of is passing, right? Like, what does the, what does the joke of Polly passing as a cis woman to the security guards mean? Like, what's the subtext there? The idea, is it like, it's funny to think that somebody wouldn't read a trans person as trans? Like, might be tricked by a trans person who's trying to trick them into believing that they're a cis woman? You know what I mean? Like, it's busted shit. It's really gross. And while it is tempting, while you want to just be like, oh, it's fucking stupid, whatever. And like, it's fucking stupid, whatever, right? Like, we don't actually have to think too hard about this stuff because who fucking cares, right? Like, if you're looking for intelligent representation of trans people in movies, uh, you're stupid. But I just like... I, <laughs> I don't even know. I don't have a conclusion. I'm just like, where do we go with this? Like, what is this movie saying? What are What are this movie's assumptions you know what I mean like that thing where the one dude like Polly is passing to the one dude but not to the other person just feels so directly connected to the idea that trans people are low like trans women are like deceptive and trying to make you do gay shit right and therefore need to be murdered um like Polly deceives the one person and then the other person has to make out with him right like has to like touch butts with each other like I've been thinking a lot, I've been having conversations a lot recently just about how like portrayals of trans people in movies and TV are like, are nonsense. Like they're gibberish. They literally don't make any fucking sense. Um, and you know, I said before, cis people are fucking crazy. I don't actually mean that. Cis people, you're great and I love you, but like, the portrayals of trans people in movies and film, like representation of trans women leads directly to the murder of trans women. It like leads directly to a culture that like thinks trans women are gonna fucking do bad things in bathrooms. You know what I mean? Like, hey stupid, like trans women in bathrooms for the most part are afraid of you. Like you don't need to be afraid of them. Um, and it is because the shit is fucking nonsense, right? Like even when you have a character who is uh, named as a trans woman, right? Like fucking uh she's still nonsense like did you see the danish girl i watched the danish girl and admittedly i didn't watch it that closely because it was too fucking depressing but as i recall it's about someone who like doesn't have normal human like she's like happy to die because she got to transition and the important thing was not to be alive but to get to transition before she died right and she died because she transitioned but like she was fine with that, like she didn't care. The important thing was that she got to transit, or like not even transition, right? To like have quote unquote bottom surgery. Although I doubt they used that language. I don't know what, they probably used sex change operation as the language in that movie. Um, maybe they didn't, I don't fucking know. But you know what I mean? Like, just like, it's super frustrating. And I guess this is going back to what I was talking about early on about being like, wow, so okay, so the project of therapy and the project of podcasts is to excavate the things that fucked you up as a kid so that you can like, hold them up to the light and be like, oh, that's why that fucked me up, and then hopefully move past it, right? Like, Polly Shore masculinity incorporated drag, like, straight up, right? Like, it was funny for Polly to wear a dress, and I was like, um, you know, when you're 12, you want to be like, I wish that I had room for expressing 
something other than normative masculinity and there it was it's like not normative masculinity right that's like it's not it wasn't even like gay or feminine i mean it was like feminine in a sense but it wasn't like sissy you know what i mean he was like a dude in this way by the way can i say i think it's kind of amazing that there are so many people talking about this idea of being a sissy online like sissy identity as like related to trans identity or whatever and also like just like doesn't feel like it's ever been on my radar in a way that's been awesome to watch because I don't feel like it super fucks me up like that word just like never felt super powerful to me in any way um anyway you know you're a kid you live in a culture right and your culture like does not show you any avenues to exist in the way that you need to exist right like trans people have been coming up with metaphors to try to help cis people just like be sympathetic or shut the fuck up or like not kill them right and then cis people are like ah but those metaphors are not literal truths and it's like fucko it's a metaphor right like the reason that most trans people want to transition is because they tried not transitioning and it didn't work right like straight up not transitioning didn't work so I gotta figure out some kind of way to transition right and this is probably overgeneralizing and I'm probably ignoring some people's experience um, I'm not trying to speak for everybody but just like bro like what fucking stories are we telling about trans people you know what I mean like where am I like up on a mountain or something um, I can see more mountains I can see a freeway I wonder if this is Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive is supposed to be a cool thing to drive on in Los Angeles and I've never been to it. I wonder where I'm going. Um, anyway, just like, uh, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit because I'm not getting at like exactly what I'm trying to say about this stuff. It's just like, we talk about like portrayals of trans people in movies being busted and like, Yes, they're busted, but I think we need to be talking more about the fact that they're fucking nonsense. They're like cis-normative nonsense that is intended to like explain to cis people that like trans people exist, but also are them, not us, right? Like that trans people exist, but they are either crazy or stupid or both. And that like, as far as I'm concerned, that is not true. You know what I mean? Like it's cultural stuff that is garbage about, um, always wanting to be at the center right like that is actually like what colonial thinking looks like Col colonizer thinking looks like right like oh I'm the center of the universe and so I'm gonna do whatever I want and anything that like is not immediately legible to me or does not immediately like do what I want it to do is something that I can fucking destroy right or something that I can sort of erase and write over in a way that does make sense to me that is legible to me right and so that's I think what you get like drag is hilarious, right? Or like, straight guy in a dress is hilarious, right? It's because that is a story that is easy to understand because we live in a misogynist culture and we live in a culture that like, hates the idea of gender being even remotely complicated, right? On an archetypal level, but also on like kind of an undiscussed, uh, like unexamined um, practical level, I guess, you know. Um, so I don't know if I really did justice to my my thinking about the two instances of gender variance in the 1995 Pauly Shore film Jury Duty, but sure talked a lot about it. Um, 
what else can I tell you about Jerry Duty? I wonder if I wrote any notes. I bet I did. Um, turns out it's a hard movie to get a hold of on DVD. You can, well, you could stream it before the apocalypse and the internet stop existing, but now I forget whether it's canon in this podcast if the internet exists or not. Um, there's a bunch of tuna salad jokes that were pretty good in this movie. Um, the joke was kind of like, there's big news in the courtroom and it's, and I'm running to tell the newspapers and it's tuna salad and for lunch. Um, and then this dude like comes up a bunch of times like tuna salad is big news. That was pretty funny. Um, oh wow, yeah, there was some challenging stuff about immigrants. There was some challenging stuff about black people and Chinese people. This movie like Chinese slash like Asian probably. I don't think that it was intentionally targeted that way. Um, it's like not a good movie to watch if you like care about things. You know what I mean? Um, fashion in this movie kind of amazing and kind of terrible like terrible meaning uninteresting obviously um at one point the prosecution lawyer i think she's the prosecution yeah she's a prosecution lawyer she's like she's wearing this skirt suit how many times in this podcast has the, the phrase skirt suit come up do you think it's a lot um the prosecuting lawyer is wearing the skirt suit but it's not a skirt suit it's just a dress that is like basically a blazer that um it's like a one-piece dress, right? So like, there's no skirt part to the skirt suit, it's just the jacket, but it's like long. Um, that's a strange fashion decision, as far as I'm concerned. Um, like one of the things that the movie does well is like, just kind of like, goes for it in terms of some bonkers shit. Like, Polly is assigned to his initial like, shitty hotel room, and he goes and he's like, oh, this room is gross, I don't like it, and then, he finds out who his uh, roommate in the shitty hotel room is going to be, and it's his high school principal. Like, that seems unlikely, right? Like, it's also funny because they've already been on the jury together for a day, so like he knows that he's on the jury with his high school principal, but like, he still is, like, is surprised. He's like, oh shit, I have to live with my high school principal now, and his high school principal is like, didn't I expel you? And Polly's like, yeah, twice. And just like, they've got like very much a like bad kid and mean principal dynamic that they immediately begin to uh, reenact. Um, what else? Wiener boy hat, dog hat. I have as a note, I already talked about that. Dog can use remote controls, picture in picture representing opulence. Um, getting a massage from some babes at one point um but right like at one point he's in like a bubble bath in the fucking uh like hot tub and there's like a black swan just swimming in the bubble bath with him like that's the short the sort of shit that i feel like was like Polly shore jokes that i loved as a kid which like really sort of shaped what i think is funny and which i can still actually totally stand by like Representing opulence by taking a bath in a hot tub with your like fucked up little dog and a bunch of bubbles is like Pretty good, but then like when you throw in also there's a swan there for no reason like that's Even better. You know what I mean? That's a good. It's a strong joke. Um, there's god I've got a bunch of notes, but who fucking cares about any of this? Um, just take a quick flip through this transphobic drag stuff is sheer nonsense. I have written. Um, we see Polly's butt again. We see Polly's butt a few times. I think he goes back and becomes a successful uh, stripper 
like at the end of the movie. Um, and the movie closes, I guess I can just finish this up because who fucking cares about any of this other stuff. Um, the movie closes with Peanut going on Jeopardy. Like you don't actually see it in action, but you do see a still photo or like a still image of Peanut fucking destroying everybody on Jeopardy, which is great. Like that too, <laughs> I feel like that's a good joke. You know what would be great? I should, somebody, I almost said I should, but I'm not gonna fucking do it. Somebody should make a cut of this movie in which uh, it's just about Peanut. Like you can lose all the other plots and really just have it be about Peanut. Or maybe even a full movie that's just Peanut's story in this movie. Because Peanut has a lot of stuff go on, right? Like he spends a lot of time in, I guess he spends a lot of time in Polly's like messenger bag, but he hangs out in a nice hotel. Um, oh, right. What happens towards the end of the movie is that Polly instead of being a milkman while he's stripping, his character becomes a judge because now he's like involved with the legal system, right? And um, the like the closing text is like, Polly used the money that he made from stripping to become a very successful lawyer. So I guess we're portraying stripping and not as like a legitimate means to an end in terms of capitalism, like not just as a job, but as like a means to an end of like, you only do this until you can do something better. Like, like the movie is like, would not have been a happy ending in on the movie's terms for Polly to have become a successful stripper. Right. And so that's like, you know, another thing that is imperfect about the 1995 Polly Shore film, Jury Duty. Um, what else, dude? This has been going on for a long time. There's this weird thing that happens in the opening stripping scene where Polly is stripping and they're cutting to the women who are watching him strip. And like, there's some women at a table who the table has like, oh, what's it called? Like a table setting or something like the thing in the middle where it'll be like a candle or like napkins and salt and pepper or whatever, where it's just a bunch of Confederate flags. It's like, what the fuck does that mean? You know what I mean? Why would you put a bunch of Confederate flags on your table at your strip club? Um, man, what if there was a movie where the trans girl who shows up at the beginning makes friends with Peanut, we should do a reboot of this movie that's just about her and Peanut and like, Pauly Shore could get, uh, not murdered necessarily, he, um, the owner of the strip club is played by Andrew Dice Clay and they could murder Andrew W, Andrew WK, they could not murder Andrew WK, Andrew WK is great, they could murder Andrew Dice Clay, wow I never thought about how similar their names are, Andrew Dice Clay, Andrew WK, dude. There is already a pretty good conspiracy around Andrew W.K., but I'm ready for that to complicate it. Anyway, unnamed trans girl at the beginning of the movie uh, befriends Peanut. They murder Andrew, Do Andrew Dice Clay. Um, Polly can, like, help them somehow, maybe. Um, but it's, like, oh, maybe, like, a heist film. Maybe it's, like, a Neil Gaiman book where, like, there's this alternate Los Angeles just, like, on the other side of the real Los Angeles and they go. It's like a like magical demimond. We're driving by a country club, dude. Where the fuck are we? Um, just saying, in, the, in the, the reboot of Jury Duty, we should do it. Um, I just say that's already, it's hard to get a copy of the DVD. It's like you go to the like steaming pile of like blackened like walls and melted plastic that was Amoeba in the former Los Angeles and you go there and the sad people who like used to be the clerks there but there's no more record store there but they just like kind of like the um 
the people who are just wandering the mall in Dawn of the Dead because that was what they did when they were living and like don't know what else to do. The clerks at Amoeba are like, yeah, it's weird. We don't have a used copy of that. And it looks like it's been out of print for like, since like 2013, like, if you see a copy of Jury Duty at the thrift store or whatever, you should pick it up, dude, because they're going for like 26 bucks on Amazon. You could probably sell it to, um, you know, the crater that used to be Amoeba Records for like a couple bucks if you got it. I don't know. In conclusion, what do we have to say about the classic 1995 Pauly Shore film, Jury Duty? Any other thoughts? Um... I guess I would say that Pauly Shore's masculinity still is better than a lot of other masculinities, even though it's, you know, terrible. And that question of, like, whether there are good masculinities remains a question. Maybe it's a spectrum. Maybe it's a galaxy. Like, gender. You don't know. I don't fucking know. Alright, truck nuts and dickholes. That's it. Image and Benny on Twitter. This song is by People Watching. That other song was by Gorgon. Fuck capitalism and fuck your internalized colonizer mindset. See ya. Turn the jar up.